Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the official Redbird Rants podcast. This is episode 39. I'm Michael Miles, one of the editors at Redbird Rants, and I'm joined tonight in this episode by one of our contributors, Larry Levin. And Larry, how are you, sir? I'm doing just great, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And a happy Thanksgiving to you. And Larry, you and I are joined tonight by a very, very special guest. Our own editor at Redbird Rant, Tito Rivera, is celebrating the big 27 years old today. Uh, happy birthday, Tito, and welcome to this special pre-Thanksgiving Day episode happy of the podcast. Happy birthday, Tito. Yes, thank you guys. Appreciate it, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Uh, hopefully, uh, the Cardinals can bring us some joy over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and let's you know what guys, let's go right into it. But actually actually let's let's put a little pause for a moment. We before we went on the air, we were talking about some Thanksgiving traditions and I'd like to hear from both of you if we can just do that. Just give me what is your favorite Thanksgiving tradition that you do in your family. And let's start with you, birthday boy. Wow. Okay. Well, um as you guys know, uh my heritage, my Puerto Rican heritage, uh offers probably a, a little bit of a different uh, taste for everything. So uh, what we usually like to do is is play some dominoes um, and play in group in pairs. Uh, so about four people, but uh, split off in pairs. And then we go ahead and feast on what we, our traditional uh, uh, meal is not necessarily a turkey, but uh, an oven roasted pork shoulder uh, with a special kind of rice and uh, some some Puerto Rican stuffing. So um, now you know, with my wife, she she's a full full blood American. So our our house now has to uh, adapt and fuse together at the same time. You know, I, I love that. I love the melting pot of America, and when our families come together, how we can really meld together. And the traditions, uh, Larry. What what do you guys do? Well, for, for we have we have a small uh, we have a small family, and so um, rather than cooking, we have found a place to go on Thanksgiving that is kind of uh, well well associated with St. Louis history, and it's called the Lemp Mansion. And um, the Lemps were a brewery family in St. Louis. It's most Cardinal fans probably know, <clears throat> and um, it's supposedly haunted by the uh, by by one of the uh, historic events there, uh, where one of the Lemps died under very mysterious circumstances, um, and uh, the mansion was built in the 1860s, so it's about 150 years old, and it's just beautiful. It's broken into. Uh, uh, three levels and a bunch of rooms in a very labyrinthine kind of layout, and they serve family style uh, at your table. Uh, it's with fireplaces in most of the rooms, and it's just a very warm and wonderful kind of place to celebrate along with dozens of other families. What about you, Michael? That sounds uh, well. That sounds really wonderful, Larry. Um, my family, we do two things that are, are pretty stand out. One of the things we do, we're actually we just finished doing tonight, and that is we all come over to to my family's house, my parents' house, and we do what's called pie night, where all of my soccer team of the family, my my kids, they all get to make their own pie, and they get to make whatever flavor they want, and they make it tonight. Okay. We don't eat them eat them tonight. We eat them tomorrow, <clears throat> but they all make them tonight. And, and then tomorrow my parents will come out to our farm and we'll have a mix of traditional fare with turkey and dressing 
And then we mix in something different every year. Uh, this year, my wife has decided to make um, chicken fajitas. And so we'll, we'll have that along with the traditional American turkey fare. Nice. So let's get into it. Um, something that we could really be thankful for as Cardinal fans would be the landing of John Carlos Stanton. And I'm sure we're going to get to that. But before that, I'd really like to talk about Yadier Molina. And, Tito, you really brought up your Puerto Rican heritage. And as a matter of fact, Yadier is going to serve as the manager for the uh, Puerto Rican team in the Pan American Championships. Um, Let's just get your feedback on that. We'll start with you again, birthday boy, since this is really your, your neck of the woods. What does this mean in the grand scheme of things for Yadier? And what does it mean to you? You know, I'll I'll start what it what it means to me first. I I think everybody knows what's going on in the world with Puerto Rico and the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, and I think everybody understands that there's a really dire situation going on in the island. You know, whatever you feel is actually happening or what's not happening. You know, I'm a first, I can tell you firsthand what really is happening, and it's not going well. It's not going well enough, I should say. You know, at one point, my, par- my grandparents had power. Then they lost it again. Then there wasn't clean water. You know, then they're running out of food, and our families here in the United States, you know, my mom and dad are sending fa- uh, food to them. And, and I think people... Can't I can't understand the reality of what's going on in Puerto Rico because either, A, they're too politically wrapped up in all of this, or they just don't really care. And that's unfortunate, but at the same time, there are people still suffering. And, and, and you know, what it sounds bad with what my grandparents are going through, but there are people that are going through way worse than what my grandparents are going through. And so... This, to me, you know, much like we say, like music helps everybody heal or and, and whatnot, uh, sports does that for Puerto Rico. You know, baseball teams, any time a national team from Puerto Rico can lift the country, the country is right there with it because the country understands that this doesn't happen every single time. There's not a lot of opportunity for, you know, a Puerto Rican national team or individuals to represent their country and be on the international stage. And so for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of pride. It's a sign of, of unity. And, and I think that's where a lot of the players are going to draw their strength from. And, and that's where I'll lead into Yadier Molina, what this means for him. I mean, Look what he did, you know, in the last two iterations of the WBC, the World Baseball Classic. He takes Puerto Rico to two finals, gets two silver medals, all honors teams. I mean, the guy, the guy is the only person I would ever put in charge of any Puerto Rican national team at this point. <laughs> and, um, and you know, and and that's and that's you know that's crazy because. You think of all the the players right now in the major leagues that have some star power, and that includes Carlos Correa, and that includes Francisco Lindor. It included Carlos Beltran up until you know this you know this off season. Yeah. Um, but those before him, even don't you know besides Roberto Clemente, let's he's in his own category. But no other Puerto Rican player has the fame and the star power that Yadier Molina has. And so I think he sees this as an opportunity to really, you know, bring some pride to to Puerto Rico once again. Uh, But at the same time, I think he's also thinking about his life after uh, a playing career. And that is, and that is as a manager at some point. And this is a perfect way to get that experience. I mean, he, you know, it's a under 23 team. Um, and which, by the way, I want to include, includes uh, Delvin Perez from the St. Louis Cardinals, so our recent draft pick out of Puerto Rico. Um, 
but this is a chance for him to prove that he can do it outside of outside of his playing career, and I'm excited to see where it takes him. All right, Larry, what do you? How do you feel about this? Well, I mean, I echo, even though it's not a personal family thing, I echo everything Tito said about, you know, the disaster in Puerto Rico, and you know, without getting in any way political, I'll simply say, you know, for us to uh, crises, crises are times when we really find out the true character of what defines us collectively and what brings us together. And I think we are being tested now um, with the crisis in Puerto Rico, um, not to mention the other um, uh, serious um, consequences of, of the hurricanes of the past year, but especially in Puerto Rico. We're being we're being tested to see if we can, you know, define ourselves collectively as Americans in a very important way. And so I hope we can, you know, go from where we are at the present moment, which is a very, very dire situation and a very tragic situation to something where we can look back a few months from now and <clears throat> say that we were proud to, to do something, um, uh, you know, on behalf of our fellow citizens. So, so that's my feeling there. Um, you know, I was very, very blessed to be able to see um, the World Baseball Classic, both in San Diego and Dodger Stadium. So it was a wonderful experience. And, of course, I got to see both the Dominican uh, – I mean, both Puerto Rico – well, and the Dominican Republic, but I got to see Puerto Rico and the United States um, play many times and that final game, uh, which, of course, was very emotional. For me, you know, as a Cardinal fan, you know, there was a little part of me uh, <laughs> you know, cheering for Yachty, but mostly I was cheering for the United States. But it was wonderful to see, A, to see Puerto Rico there for the second straight time, and then, and then B, even though the final itself wasn't a great game, to see how both teams got there. And, of course, both semifinal games, were great games. So that was fun for me. As far as Yachty, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an icon. He's a symbol of not only sports in Puerto Rico, but uh, uh, but the country itself. Um, it will be so interesting to see if he can evolve and develop into uh, a, a manager after his career is over. Um, he obviously comes from a family that has you know, collectively higher baseball IQ than probably the rest of the planet combined. Um, you know, sometimes it works out that way, sometimes it doesn't. When I was writing for the Riverfront Times about hockey years and years and years ago, um, you know, and um, the Blues had just given Brian Sutter their, his first chance as a, as a National Hockey League coach, um, you know, it took him some time to figure out how to translate his on-field intensity um, to, you know, to the dugout and, and managing his players. So, you know, even the best and most intense and most intelligent players sometimes have a growth curve. Um, but I think if you're looking for somebody who defines leadership, you cannot find anybody more qualified than Yadier Molina. Yeah, and I, you know, let me say as an aside that the thing that really speaks volumes to me, and both of you spoke to this, from Tito's perspective, you, you spoke of how sports has a way to take our mind off of the bad. It's, it's an escape, especially in, in Puerto Rico. And, and it's the same here in America, because we, we definitely saw that after 9-11, when baseball finally returned, uh, things of that nature. But then I also... It resonated with me what you said, Larry, about we are being tested and this is a time when uh, we as humans have to come together through our humanity and, and we're seeing that whether that is happening or not happening around the world, uh, specifically in Puerto Rico, and, and just the way that we are, are presenting ourselves externally beyond the borders of our own country. But then I thought about the marriage of both of those things. And I think that the example that we're seeing here with, with removing Yadier from the equation, the Pan-American championships that are coming up, it's a fantastic thing. And it's very similar in nature, while not exactly the same as the World Baseball Classic, 
but it is a way that a, a group of disparate people come together to play a single sport for one concerted outcome that, yes, they're all fighting toward, but yet there's civility. And I, I feel that way every time that I watch the Olympics, which, by the way, are coming up as well. And I'm just reminded that we can, as humans, and I don't want to pontificate too much here, but we can, as humans, really push towards a goal, have opposition to that goal, and not demoralize or lose the fact that these are fellow humans on the other side. And that, I think, is is very, very, very telling. Uh, As to Yachty becoming a manager god i hope so and <laughs> and 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 i would i would be a-okay with it if we had a press conference in january where he's replacing our current manager um, and that's of course not going to happen but i would be okay with it in fact i'd probably be ecstatic with it uh, we know we know that is his future i, I without a doubt that is his future uh, and, you know, with Benji having served in so many coaching capacities after his playing career, you know, I, I, I may be wrong, but I don't know that if Jose is doing anything uh, coaching-wise. But he actually he actually is joining Yadier Molina at the Pan Am Games. Oh, nice. Uh, and also, as a side note, and I was going to mention this, Jose Okendo is joining him. So I find that both of them, Molina and Okendo, going – is really, really interesting in the grand scheme of things, uh, much to your point about whether Molina would just have a press conference and say, yeah, I'm taking over in January. <laughs> yeah, and listen, hey, I'm way on board for that because, uh, you know, I, I was somebody who was very upset when Okendo wasn't the one who was selected when Matheny was, uh, equally as upset that Francona was not selected and it had come down to Matheny and Francona. But Yadier is the future of the club. And when I look at that, I mean, you already have a player manager on the field behind the dish whenever he's suited up. And as a matter of fact, if you watch, what's even more interesting to me are the games when he is not suited and behind the plate because he is absolutely a resource that every pitcher comes to, that every batter comes to, that Carson Kelly comes to, whoever it is, Alberto Rosario, if God knows, if anyone knows who that is. You know, when he comes up, when those people come up and talk to Yadier, you can tell that that's a manager. And that's what this club needs. They're probably going to need it in one year, probably going to need it in two years. Uh, you know, I just don't know how much, how many more years Yadier has actually on the diamond just in his age. And remember, he is playing the most difficult, physically difficult position on the field, seconded very closely by the pitcher. And so you just have to look at that timeline. And, and I would love to see Yadier as the Cardinals manager, keeping Okendo in some very large role, bringing his brother Jose, bringing Benji back, all these things, I mean, it would just be a dynasty that could be made and had with the Yadier, with the Molina family and the St. Louis Cardinals. That's my takeaway. So let's do this. We're going to take one quick break. And when we come back, we're going to just dive right on in to the Giancarlo Stanton cornucopia on this special pre-Thanksgiving Day episode, episode number 39, the birthday episode of Tito Rivera. Stay with us. You're listening to the official Redbird Ranch podcast on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Thanks for sticking with us. You are listening to the 39th episode of the first season of the official Redbird Ranch podcast. This is a very special pre-Thanksgiving recording and made even more special by Tito's birthday. Happy birthday again to you, Tito, if there's any listeners just joining us now. If you missed anything before, we had a really fantastic conversation about humanity and about Yadier Molina and, and his taking on a managerial role in the Pan Am game. But let's go to what everybody is dying to talk about, and that is the National League most valuable player and the rumors surrounding him and his potential to come to the St. Louis Cardinals. Guys, the last that we heard, the last that has ever come out, is that there are, seems to be two front runners 
in the Giancarlo um, sweepstakes. Those front runners are the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Francisco Giants. Rivals going into postseason, rivals who switched off who was winning in what year. Interesting that they're going head-to-head. And actually, the latest news said, sources say that the San Francisco Giants are the front runner. So let's start with you, Larry. Give us just your stream of consciousness on Giancarlo Stanton and the latest news, and go. I just can't figure. I can't figure out anything. I mean, I mean, one day, you know, there's a there's there's a package speculated uh, that the Giants are offering, and the next day that package is denied by other, uh, you know, sports writers who are equally credible. The it's really hard to get a bead on, um, despite very generic statements about who the front runner is. It's hard to get a bead on what the actual offers are, which is, you know, really a testament to, you know, the Marlins playing it close to the vest. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, I think it's been speculated that that the Cardinals could be used by the Marlins to drive up the price for a party that hasn't really entered the sweepstakes seriously yet. It's been speculated that the Giants are could be used to drive up the price for the Cardinals. Um, and so, so there are as many permutations as you could even imagine out there about what might happen. Tito and I both speculated about the timing um, of when a deal would be had. I think we both thought it was going to be a few weeks off from now. Um, yeah, about mid very, mid-December. Mid-December. It's a very it's a very um it's a very complex landscape um because um you know the Marlins have to decide um you know how much do they want in the way of prospects, how much do they want in the way of ditching salary, are there other players um that they'd like to ditch? Um it was uh, discussed that D Gordon was possibly a a ditch that the Giants might take, and it was speculated that Brad Ziegler was a ditch that the Cardinals might take. Um, you know, so uh, you can imagine how many different um, considerations there are on that front in terms of what the deal could look like. Um, you know, and then, of course, the piece de resistance is once that is, um, once a deal is even tentatively in place, you know, it has to be sold to, um Mr. Stanton himself, who has a no-trade contract. So, so lots of moving pieces. Um, I was asked at my pickup basketball game what I thought. I, I said then, and I say now, I think it's roughly a 50-50 proposition for the Cardinals. And I don't mean 50% Cardinals, 50% Giants. I'd, I'd say 50% Cardinals, 50% everybody else, because I believe that the Cardinals have – it in their uh, in their wherewithal, if they want to make a what I'd call a bad offer, just for shorthand. In other words, a, a an offer that could wow the Marlins, uh, you know, beyond even considering any other offer. The Cardinals have the assets to do so. They have the money. They have the new TV contract. They have an exceptionally deep um, minor league system at this point. And so I believe, uh, for one of the few times in recent history. This is the Cardinals' deal to um, to lose. It's I'd say it's in their hands more than it's in any other team's hands. And I will say this about the Giants, real quickly, um, before I turn it over to Tito. The the you know the Giants lost a hell of a lot of games last year. What they lose? Ninety eight games last year. Yeah. The you know you can argue that the Cardinals are a couple of pieces away from contending at a fairly serious level. You may not make the argument that they're going to be one of the three best teams in baseball. But if you add a reliever, if you have appropriate pitching depth and you add a Stanton, you know that they're there to play with the big boys. You can't make that argument with the San Francisco Giants. They have Buster Posey and they have Madison Bumgarner and they have some other decent players like Brandon Crawford. But, but really, you know, they lost 98 games. They had some injury issues, no doubt, um, but, but they're not there yet. So even though Stanton's from California, um, you know, I think the Cardinals are closer to competing. We we know from reading quotes that Stanton wants to compete. 
Um, uh, and so I think we present a very viable option for him. Um, and so, you know, I'm modestly bullish at this point, um, understanding the rug can get pulled out from under us, but, but modestly bullish. All right, Tito, your turn. Boy, that was, that was great, Larry. I mean, you, you pretty much nailed a lot of it on the head, but I do want to point out one thing that you, you kind of skipped over in regards to the giants before I get into my take on all this. Mm-hmm. Remember that the giants also don't have any pitching outside of Madison Bumgarner. That is true. Matt, Matt Kane is there, Jeff Samarja and maybe Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja are good enough, but Jeff Samarja is not the pitcher that he was. No. He did not have a good year. Johnny Cueto, while he is staying in San Francisco, also is starting to show some signs of rust as well and, and, and some tear. So I, I'm not convinced that adding John Carlos Stanton to, Stanton to the Giants is the best move for them in terms of, well, yeah, that's going to push us over the hump. Because not only that, then they still have to go get somebody to play center field. Denard Spain mm-hmm. can't do it. Hunter Pence is pretty much, you know, he's he's finding his uh, glory days behind him too. So, you know, the Giants are, as you mentioned, Larry, a lot further away from the Cardinals in terms of competing with the upper echelon of the National League. And not to mention, look at the division that he would go into. You've got Arizona, who is a resurgent oh, team, right, and right. also the Dodgers, who just were in the World Series. So you mean to tell me that he's going to have more success there? I find that really hard to believe. Um, and don't even get me started about the Giants bullpen because they're just as bad as the Cardinals. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really it, it comes down to me whether or not Stanton sees it the way we do. And if he doesn't see it that way, then – He's going to go to San Francisco or he's going to go somewhere else. Now, what I think has been interesting over the last couple of days, and I, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but in my eyes, the St. Louis media, and I should say, you know, Bernie Nicholas and all those guys, they have really picked up their, you know, wording towards Stanton saying, hey, if you want to win, you need to come to St. Louis. I, I, did, have you guys noticed that? I, I mean, I have. Um, I think there was a really good article today in the um, in STL today or the Post Dispatch by Jose de Jesus Ortiz that made that very argument about why it would be a really smart move for Stanton to come here. You know, both for the on-field and off-field stuff, both for the on-field chance to compete and the off-field of being basically a, an icon in St. Louis for the next decade. Right, and, and not and to I, mention and that, I, but then I thought it too, but I, I wondered if it was um, – I worried it was hyperbole, but I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that someone else did not think that way. And I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm very relieved that both of you sort of picked up on that as – more of a push to get him than hyperbole because my biggest fear was that it was just hyperbole. But but then you also take into account what Bernie Nicholas even said himself. He had his own article pretty much saying the exact same thing of he wants to win, then why not come to one of the, the most well-known franchises in the National League, the one of the most, if not the most successful franchise in the National League, why not come to St. Louis if you want to win? I mean, unless he's just saying that to say that, because he can, <laughs> you know, because he has all the power in his no-trade clause. Right. You know, but this is where if he wants to win, I'm going to echo their sentiments and say this is where he needs to come to play. And, and that's not because I'm a, just a Cardinals fan. It just, it's just that logical to me. So I, I echo those sentiments. But here's the thing that – really, really bugs me about this entire thing. If I were the Marlins and I Mm -hmm. had the reigning NL MVP and I know, you know what, his time has come in Miami, I need to trade him, 
you could not pay me enough money or you could I could not give you give him enough for the return that I want. If I'm the Marlins and I'm not getting the return in prospects I want, I'm not trading him. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it. I, I won't I won't entertain an offer that is not good in or in a return for prospects. Otherwise, you know, this and Josh and I had this conversation. This is the exact reason why he wasn't traded in July and August because nobody wanted to pay nobody wanted to pay 100% of that so it's clearly not all about money it's something else and that is prospects anything the giants whatever the giants offered or what we reportedly saw you know Joe Panic and two tops that's not going to cut it and the cardinals could beat that 10 times over and over again if they wanted to yep so I, I I struggle to see people on Twitter like, oh, the Cardinals are going to do this. No, I, I really think they will do this. I really think the Cardinals are going to step up. Now, of course, hindsight will be twenty twenty, and people will say, oh, no, you overpaid for that. Oh, well, this, and oh, well, that. I'm like, you know what? Screw you guys, because you can't have it both ways. Yeah, you made that point last week. I agree with you. Yep. Right. You you cannot have it both ways. You can't have you can't say the front office is cheap and then criticize them for going out and overspending. Like that that's not gonna work. If you guys want the Cardinals to win, buck up and be ready for some massive prospect up offload. But if that's if I were the Marlins, that's what I'm saying. I have the reigning in MVP. You show me the money, and the money isn't necessarily the money aspect. It's what you can give me in return for prospects. And you know what? I don't care if the Giants can pay 100% of the contract. That's, that's okay, cool. So could the Cardinals. I guarantee you they could. But, again, if that was the case, he would have been traded in July. I, I can almost guarantee that. Well, absolutely, because it's not about money. I mean, everybody has made that very clear. So, um, Tito, if what would you offer to the Marlins to get him? What would it take? Uh, you know, you know, we're going through this mock exercise, and and unfortunately, the other day we kind of got rebuffed on the trade that we supposedly we thought we had made, um, and so. You know, the offer that we just accepted to get, you know, John Carlos in was Jack Flaherty, Austin Gomer, and Harrison Bader for John Carlos Stanton, Adam Conley, and 90% of his pay. And I don't think that's, you know, that's not what it's going to be in real life. I think personally, um, in our mock draft or our mock, mock draft, our mock uh, offseason mode here, I personally think that we still win this because we're getting what we need. However, if if this was in real life, I, I'm gonna go. I'm you know I'm in Marlins GM mode or Derek Jeter's mind again. I, I, you know I want as many pitchers as I can get, and I think I would probably be asking for a combination of Flaherty. Uh, Alcantara and probably a little bit lower level pitcher and Harrison Bader. I think it's going to take at least four players to outbid outbid other teams in terms of prospects. And then at the same time, they're going to have to take on some, some money. So those, you know, four players and, and approximately 85 to 90% of the pay. Larry, what would you give the Marlins? I would give the Marlins whatever the thing was that was uh, exactly that much more than what other teams offered to get them but to get him. I mean, I, and obviously you don't know that, and it's a guessing game. Um, but what I'm the point I'm making is the Cardinals in this off season don't really have a choice other than to make a sensational move for an offensive player. Um, you know, they could 
They could add a Yelich, um, but he is not the difference maker that they're talking about. He's a really good player, don't get me wrong. He's a really mm-hmm. good player. They could add a Nozuna who has more pop, but it probably isn't as predictable as a Yelich. But they've put themselves in a sticky situation. I mean, not only because of their pronouncements, but because they've missed out over and again, right? They've missed out on um, Price, and they've missed out on Scherzer, and they've missed out on other players. Now, sometimes they've been fortunate. You know, they didn't do the big contract for Hayward, and that was a good call. They didn't do the, the big contract for Pools, and that was a good call. But it doesn't matter anymore what they didn't do. Um, you know, what, it matter, what matters is, you know, are they going to be able to add somebody um, who not only is going to be a difference maker, but who's going to make virtually every other player in the lineup that much better? Um, and there just aren't that many of those out there. So, I, so to answer your question very specifically, Michael, whatever, whatever it takes. And I don't know if I think it'll take four, like Tito said. I think it will take two pitchers. I think it will take a position player. I'm not sure whether it will take Harrison Bader or not. Um, You know, it might take, you know, the two top pitchers and then two lower prospects. I don't know. But but I think this is the year where they really have to soul search and say, you know, we're going to go for – you know, we're going to go for the pers- – we're willing to go for the perception that we lost this deal, that sports writers are going to, re- you know, are going to read about this deal and say, you know, we think the Cardinals got hosed, and, and they have to be willing to accept that, um, you know, to have the team on the field that can compete for the next at least half decade. That's my opinion. Hey, and and one quick thing I want to add in here is, I I struggle with the comparison to the deal with Pujols because uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when the Pujols deal was made, he was 32 years old, Absolutely. practically practically five years, pretty much five years older than what Sanon is right now. So anybody At least saying, people don't agree on how old he really is. Right, right, right. So anybody that tells me, oh, well, he's not Pujols, well, no. Nobody was Pujols. I mean, Pujols is arguably the greatest right-handed hitter th- this generation of baseball has seen, arguably. But at the same time, you're, you're willing you're, – you're paying – for a person that is five years younger than the guy that you would have you would have had right now, absolutely. And so, to me, there is no comparison because of that age difference and what he could mean to the team. Because think about it this way: let's say let's for some reason, and this is where the Cardinals need to be careful because of this opt-out clause. Let's say that he does opt out. He's going to be, you know, 29, 30 when he does that. And at that point, if he does opt out, somebody else is probably going to want to pay him $400 million, and the Cardinals don't have to do that. They can get short-term success with Stanton for the next three years. It's just how far are they willing to go. And, And saying whatever it takes, while I agree to it to some degree, I think that is the biggest problem that this front office has is that they are so smart about their short-term and long-term assets that they can't say, I'll do whatever it takes because they know at the end of the day, their long-term success is way more important than a short-term success because let me put it to you this way. Royals win in 85, 30 years later, they win again. Do you really want to see the Cardinals go 30 years without winning a World Series? Absolutely not. No, but and can I ask you a question? Sure. Can I ask you? I, and I, no, I wasn't alive in 85. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I was. Um, but the, no, I was. But here's Larry the, and I were. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the question I have is who is there on the horizon you know, who could serve as the kind of 
anchor for the offense, you know, other than this guy. I mean, you know, I I I think, you know, just as Pools was a once in a generation guy, and I'm not saying that Giancarlo Stanton is or isn't Albert Pools. I'm not making that point. But but I think we can fairly well agree that if Giancarlo Stanton stays healthy, you know, he should have at least, you know, five, six, seven years of pretty reasonably high quality, high power, high difference making, um, you know, presence in this lineup if we don't make this move. And and I didn't start out this off season in favor of this. I was much more of a let's get a yellow to Rosuna and slot him in. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought you know, they probably will find prospects within their system or other systems, you know, who could do that, but, but, but where is there the kind of prospect, you know, in their system or others right now that, that can emulate what he's capable of doing? So, so that's the reason that I say, you know, go big or go home because, because it's, just so, it's just so different than I think yeah. what other – other folks offer, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and again, this is why this to to all of this point, this is exactly why I am saying that if I'm the Marlins, I don't care what anybody else offers me. Right, I want right. whoever has the best prospects. I want because, who I want. Yep. yep. Right. That's why I'm saying like all this talk about the Giants. Oh, they'll take on all this money blah, 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 then why didn't you do it back then? Oh, well, they're right. not going to win. They're not, and again, you know, they're not going to turn their season around from 98 wins. But my point is, is if you could have taken on the money, then you would have done it at some point. But you didn't do it because you don't have the prospect demand that the Marlins are asking for because there's only one team realistically at this point that, that can handle offloading prospects and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's why I'm saying like that's why I don't understand how why there's so much hype around the Giants and and, and the Marlins. Now I get it that Stanton may want to play for a West Coast team or a Coast team in general. But again, I I I will go back to it. The Marlins everybody wants to say John Collison has all the power. That's not true. The Marlins have just as much as power in making a deal with the team. John Carlson can go up to them and say, you need to trade me to the Giants, but the Marlins don't have to do it. They don't have to do it. Yeah, and I think what people forget is the one thing that Stanton does have control over is he can say an agreed-upon deal. But as, as we have kind of tossed around in our Twitter group, if he were to say no, the Marlins could also put a lot of pressure. I don't know. Have to play. His no trade clause does not protect his playing time. It protects the place that pays him a check. Now, I don't think they would do that with such a high value player, but they might. I have a follow up though for both of you, and this stemmed. My question comes right out of this mock winter meetings that Tito and I are involved in. And it also goes back to your point, Tito, of if I'm the Marlins, I'm not making any deal except for the one that I want in terms of prospects, which, by the way, I completely agree with you. And and also, let me say, Larry, I agree with you too, but I wasn't going to go the, um, you know, the price is right, $1 bid of I just want to be $1 higher than the next guy. But I do agree with you. I think that you just – the direction is you're going to go guns a-blazing to beat out whoever the top runner is. Here's my question, guys. In the mock winter meeting, the individual who is play, who's portraying the general manager for the Marlins, the way that it, it went down between us, and, and Tito has been the, the big negotiator on this one, and, and kudos to you, Tito, for the great job. But, but the interesting thing that happened – was just in the last day or two, I believe. But mm-hmm. originally, the the Marlins were only going to give John Carlos Stanton, and then it was what they could get back for Stanton. Well, then suddenly this third team came into play, 
which Tito <laughs> and I nixed, nixed pretty quickly. But then a- another interesting wrinkle happened, and that was this idea that the Marlins would send to us another player uh-huh. in, a- in addition to Stanton. And ironically, in the real world, we've seen some of those rumors sort of trickle out. You know, who else would come with Stanton? Well, that begs a point to me of why would you, if you have the power stance that the Marlins have, of I'm not going to take any deal except for the one that gives me the prospects I want, why are you offering anyone else with Stanton? What do you guys think about that? I'll answer this one first. It all depends on the player that is is being offered. In the terms of this mock draft, uh, you know the the second guy that was you know the second guy that was offered to us is is pitcher Adam Conley. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he projects as the number three starter for the Marlins next year. And um, I can't remember if I said he was left-handed, but he is a left-handed pitcher, and so I think in terms of why you would give another player away is because, one, you don't see any value in him on your team anymore, and it might get the other team to take the deal. In my perspective, the way it went down was this guy wanted three top pitching prospects, and I said there's no way in hell the (laughs) real-life Cardinals would ever trade three three top, you know, top pitching prospects. I don't care who you are. There's no way that the Cardinals would ever do that. So I said, you know what? No, uh, you can have two of them and you can pick which of the right-handers you want, Jack Flaherty or Dakota Hudson. Um, mm-hmm. And so he went with Jack Flaherty. Um, and then obviously through an Austin Gomer and, and Harrison Bader. But again, you would trade somebody that you see that does not have any value on your team anymore And the reason I took this deal and I think we took this deal was because, one, the Cardinals don't have a left-handed pitcher in their rotation at all. Two, he supplants Austin Gomer's left-handedness. You know, Austin Gomer might have a higher ceiling than Conley, but still it's a left-handed pitcher. And and three, Conley has big league experience at this point. And while it's not great experience and has not had a lot of success, he has pitched to big league pitching or big league hitters. He knows them, and I think a change of scenery would do good. And on top of that, he's not a free agent until 2022. Uh, you know that doesn't really mean much in real life, but in in, in the terms of money wise, you know he's under team control and arbitration for the next four years, and it would make it would make sense for the Cardinals to do that. But for the Marlins to to move somebody else. You'd really have to look at the player that they're moving. Um, and if it was a Brad Ziegler, it's all about money. It's all about moving extra money. Yeah, and let, let me also add that Conley in in the mock world, and also in the real world, Conley's cheap. He is dirt cheap. He, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, he's, he's arbitration minimum. the next four years, and he's league minimum. And for us, he really projects to be a number five starter, but again, he would be a left-handed number five starter uh, or a number four starter. And, and you know what? I'd put him, and I think you and I talked about this, Tito, I'd, I'd let him and, and Wainwright battle for a spot any day. Wainwright may win it, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I'm totally fine with that. But in the real world, and, and Larry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to step on your toes just a little. I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and answer this from my perspective, and I really do want to hear your perspective of it. But I, I find it really interesting that the Marlins are, are putting additional names with Stanton only because that sort of says to me that the Stanton ask only was not getting enough interest or was turning people away by the high level for, of the ask. You know, in a negotiation world, if you have the upper hand, and certainly I would say that the Marlins would have it with Stanton, that enough people were calling, I think they weakened their stance when they said, we'll put someone else in. That's my takeaway. What do you think, Larry? Well, two different kinds of players being thrown into the deal, right, as you guys alluded to. One would be the 
One would be the guy that's actually useful who doesn't cost a lot of money. The other is the salary dump, like has been discussed with Ziegler or D. Gordon. Now, as it turns out, I think Ziegler, who didn't have a great year last year, you know, has had, you know, in the context of what he's been asked to do, you know, has had an, a stellar career, right? I mean, that, this is a guy who has performed in so many bullpens in so many effective ways, um, really up until last year. So, you know, a guy like that, even though he costs, you know, one year of $8 million, you know, could be useful for the Cardinals and, you know, doesn't cost anything beyond next year. So I think I think that's a useful kind of player. You know, obviously a D. Gordon is a much more expensive proposition than a D. Than a um, than a Brad Ziegler. You know, if you if the if the Marlins really believe they have to offer, you know, somebody who is affordable, you know, to get people interested in Stanton, uh, yeah, I'd be surprised. I don't really think that they they think that the deal is going to turn on whether somebody gets an Adam Conley back or not. They really don't. Um, you know, if if you were talking about somebody who was a proven commodity, who was um, who was cheap, you know, that might be a different story. Conley looked like he was on the rise for two years, and then, my goodness, he had a dreaded 2017. What did he have, mm-hmm. like a 6 ERA or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 6.17. Yeah, so so I mean I just don't think that that that's going to be a, a a make or break thing, or that the Marlins think that they have to throw that in. I think they'd be much more interested in ditching salary, um, and um, you know now there may be people that the Cardinals are interested in. You know maybe they're interested in a Conley, maybe maybe they're interested in a Kyle Bearclaw, right? But. Um, <clears throat> I don't think the cheap player is really going to make or break the deal. Great points, everybody. Let's do this. Let's take one really quick break. On the other side of the break, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I'm going to get you each to predict what the Cardinals do if they do get Stanton and what they do if they don't get Stanton. So stay with us. This is Episode 39 of the official Redbird Rants podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for sticking with us. We are wrapping up the 39th episode of Season 1 of the official Redbird Rants podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. And what I'd like to know here in the last couple of minutes, and literally we've got about four minutes, give me your prediction of what the Cardinals do if they get Stanton and what the Cardinals do if they do not get Stanton. Let's start with you, birthday boy. Okay, so what happens if they do get Stanton? Well, Obviously, that means the prospect, you know, farm system is going to be depleted a little bit. And I think at that point, the Cardinals are going to continue to look at trade options to find their closer for next year. I, you know, we've seen the name Alex Colome come up. I think that's what's going to end up happening. I think the Cardinals will go after him and, and see if they can sign or if they can get Alex Colome from the Tampa Bay Rays, and, you know, I wrote a a column about it, and I said it would probably take a combination of Austin Gomber and maybe Randall Gritchick or Steven Piscotty, and so I think that's where it's going to go. Let's say they don't get Stanton. Well, the obvious answer is is they still have to find a a bat, and I still think that they're going to go – you know, outside of the organization in a trade to do that or, and they won't go to free agency for it. And and I really think they're going to probably end up going after Jose Abreu. I know he's not been a name that's talked about a lot like Josh Donaldson. I I just don't see the need for Donaldson. You know, uh, well, I mean, I know there is, but I don't think the Cardinals are willing to give up a boatload of prospects for a one-year rental in the hopes of signing him. Um, this is, you know, I know Josh Allison isn't Jason Hayward, but that's it. Now, assuming that they do trade for Jose Abreu, who is cost, effect, you know, cost effective, that's when you'll see the Cardinals go after somebody in free agency for a closer uh, like Greg Holland or Wade Davis. Excellent, Larry. 
Um, I agree about Abreu. I hope to God they don't go after Carlos Gonzalez. I think it's a terrible decision. I hope they don't go after Eric Hosmer. I think it would be a bad decision. Um, I um, I don't think there are a lot of good choices in terms of hitters, but I do agree with Tito that Abreu is probably the best of the choices out there. Um, assuming they don't go after one of the other Marlins uh, outfielders. Um, and I think they will proceed with uh, exploring both trades and free agent possibilities for closers. And I think they will um, do a couple of non-roster invitees to spring training for um, back-of-the-rotation kind of starters. Okay, well, guys, we could probably talk for six hours about John Carlos Santon and not really cover all of the ground. Uh, so I appreciate all of your feedback and everything that you shared. Let me give you my predictions really quickly. I, first off, I think the Cardinals will absolutely get John Carlos Santon. I, I just don't. I, I don't see it happening another way. I, I will be very honest. I'll be very disappointed if it does happen any other way. Um, I think that, like you said, Larry, I think they've got to go with full guns blazing, and I, I don't know that they have any other options. So I'm going to say they land Stanton. I'm going to say then that makes, you know, Grichik and uh, Piscotti very expendable. And I think that they, like like you said, Tito, I would love to see them go after Colome. Um I've written about him as well. I think he's a great one. I will add another name to the do not touch list, and we've had an article published uh, on our site about him, and that is Logan Morrison. That is a gigantic mm-hmm. mistake. Um, I hope that <laughs> we're, we're smarter than that. Um, but I, I definitely see us doing that. What I find very interesting, I want everybody to keep this on the radar, is the Cardinals through Rule 5 draft, had we've left open a spot on the 40-man roster. Uh, it's full. We've got 39. We've got a 40th spot that is vacant, and that is sitting out there. If uh, the Cardinals within the, the confines of the Rule 5 find someone that interests them that they can pick up, and I, they've also left that vacant for a free agent laying out there. Um, outside of that, then you get into the issue of the Cardinals needing to complete something through a trade because of the stocked full 40-man. But I think that one open spot is, is very interesting. And, you know, they had five spots to play with. They filled four of them. Uh, definitely tells me there is a plan in place for that final spot. Don't know who that is, but it's um, very, very, very intriguing. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Uh, as we close out tonight just want to say thank you to all of our listeners on this our time of giving thanks we certainly do that at redbird rants we don't exist without you readers and the listeners to these podcasts and we want to thank you for that and then uh definitely internally want to give a huge bout of thanks to all of our contributors uh, represented tonight by larry uh you guys are the best and redbird rants would not be in existence if not for all of the dedicated writers who provide content for us uh, daily and, and keep Tito and I busy. Uh, what a great group of guys, and we really, really appreciate them. Uh, Tito, we've got about one minute left. I want to give you, birthday boy, the floor to close us out on this 39th episode, let you share some, some thanks, anything that you want to give us. You've got one minute. Have at it, my friend. Awesome. Yeah, I do want to re-echo uh, Dr. Miles' sentiments about, you know, our writers. They ha- they do a great job, and, you know, I was, you know, I'm coming up on a year writing with Redbird Rants um, as of January, and uh, it's been one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever gone through. You know, I've been a lifelong Cardinal fan, and to be able to share opinion and share banter with with a, a common group of people, um, and, uh, you know, with their love for the St. Louis Cardinals is a, is a great experience. And, and I just want to say one thing about the off season that I think people need to remember. Um, be thankful for what this front office does for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, they do a lot of, the, the, you know, they do a lot of frustrating things at time at times, but they also keep in mind the long-term success of, the St. Louis Cardinals. And I think that's something that we all should be thankful for. And if they are able to land John Carlos Stanton, 
you know, that will be uh, just the tip of the iceberg of what is to come for the St. Louis Cardinals. Well said. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for joining. Have a great Thanksgiving and check us out.